0: Welcome to the Stony Plain Alliance Church Podcast. We are a community that is about discovering fullness of life for everyone by practicing the way of Jesus together. And so now we come to the text for this morning. This is found in Mark chapter 6, starting in verse 30. The apostles gathered around Jesus and reported to him all they had done and taught. Then, Because so many people were coming and going that they had not even had a chance to eat, he said, come with me by yourselves to a quiet place and get some rest. So they went away by themselves in a boat to a solitary place. But many who saw them leaving recognized them and ran on foot from all towns to get there ahead of him. When Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them, because they were like a sheep without a shepherd. So he began teaching them many things. By this time, it was late in the day, so his disciples came to him. This is a remote place, they said, and it's already very late. Send the people away so they can go to the surrounding countryside and villages and buy themselves something to eat. But he answered, you give them something to eat. They said to him, that would take more than half a year's wages. Are we to go and spend that much on bread and give it to them to eat? How many loaves do you have, he asked. Go and see. When they found out, they said five and two fish. Then Jesus directed them to have all the people sit down in groups on the green grass. So they sat down in groups of hundreds and fifties. Taking the five loaves and the two fish and looking up to heaven, he gave thanks and broke the loaves. Then he gave them to his disciples to distribute to the people. He also divided the two fish among them all. They all ate and were satisfied. And the disciples picked up 12 baskets full of broken pieces of bread and fish. The number of men who ate was 5,000. The word of the Lord. Thanks
1: be to God. Thanks for reading uh, that for us. Matt, good morning. Uh, my name is Wade. Good to be back with you. I come up here for, on occasion on weekends to share uh, teaching in the scriptures with you. It's good to be back at Stony Plain Alliance, both this weekend and next. So as you're making your weekend plans, if you don't like what's happening this weekend, I don't know, you can make other plans for next weekend. Uh, But I'm here this weekend and next. And as uh, Matt said, we're in Mark chapter 6, verses 30 to 44. And there's an interesting question I want us to look at and investigate together as a church today. Whether you're here in the room or joining us online, to those online, welcome as well. The question that's hanging over this text, whether you realize it right now or not, The question hanging over the text and kind of the crux of what Mark is trying to get at is this question, how is it that Jesus goes about changing the world? I mean, we can all look around and all see that the world isn't like it's supposed to be. I mean, there's brokenness, there's poverty, there's conflict. There's all these things that we inherently know, whether we're followers of Jesus or not. We get this sense, not even just in the wider world, but in our own lives, in our own relational world, in our own vocational world. Things really aren't the way they're supposed to be sometimes. We have this sense that things ought to be good and right and just, and yet within our own worlds, not just like I said the wider world, within our own lives, how many times do you stop in a moment and assess your life and get this sense that I don't really want it to be this way. There's there's something missing. I desire change. In fact, I desire revolution. And so Jesus comes along, and in this text we're taught how he goes about changing the world one life at a time, and transforming earth into the likeness of heaven. So I want us to walk through our text and have us understand and embrace this morning the revolutionary way of Jesus. And even as I wrote that word this week, as I was praying for you and preparing for this, I'm like, we're going to talk about revolution this weekend, which is good because it's not happening anywhere around us at all. So this is like completely irrelevant. But we're going to talk about the revolutionary way of Jesus because that's what's happening in our text today. Now you might think, really, this story, bread on a hillside, this is a revolutionary story? You know, we can get this impression that this is just like soft, tender, sweet Jesus having picnic on the mountainside with a bunch of people. Like, Jesus at a picnic, and there's the red and white little cloths laid out, and everybody's so happy to be there. That's not what's happening here at all. That's not the case. In fact, as Mark is writing this gospel, Mark 6, starting in verse 30 right here, the gospel starts to change tone a little bit. And you start to see, this is more like an introduction to the next section in Mark, this kind of revolutionary way of Jesus, which is not like the revolutionary way of the kingdoms of this world at all. But here's what's happening. Back in Mark chapter 6, verse 6 to 13, Jesus has sent the disciples out. We talked about that a couple of weekends ago. He and he sent them uh, to preach and to demonstrate the inbreaking of God's kingdom and to preach a message of repentance. And to heal people and to set people free from the powers of darkness. And so these disciples, these first followers of Jesus, they go out and they do this. And they're having success in their ministry. And then right in the middle of that, as Matt talked about last weekend, there's this, again, a collision of powers as Herod kills John the Baptist. And the tension in Mark, if you were kind of read it in one, in one sitting, you would start to feel this tension building. That as much as Jesus is doing these miracles, and he's doing these wonderful things, there starts to be this more and more tension between the way of the world and the inbreaking kingdom of God and Jesus. And now John the Baptist, Jesus' cousin, has been killed. And there's this sense that violence has been visited upon the kingdom of God. How do we respond? And usually the response is, well, violence for violence. Let's amp up our power and take back or take over. So John has been beheaded. He's been killed. And now as we come into this text, the disciples have now come back together with Jesus. And they're reporting all that they've done and all that they've seen and these miraculous things that have happened. And Jesus says, it's amazing you've had this great high-octane run of ministry. Can we get away and have a break? And I think some of it for Jesus was this idea. He's mourning the loss of his cousin. There's a sense of gathering back in with his disciples and saying, hey, good ministry run. Don't let it go to your head. You know, some of that teaching of Jesus. And so they need to get away to rest. But Jesus' reputation is preceding him. And there's all this tension in the land as the powers start to amp up their strength. And Jesus is doing miracles and there's this collision starting to happen. But Jesus says, let's go to this remote place. But everyone starts to follow them. And they come from the villages to meet him. And what's so interesting, it doesn't show up as much in in Mark in the description, but even in John, the Gospel of John, you know, where Jesus lands, when it talks about the solitary place, that was a very specific place. Jesus didn't just go off into random wilderness. When Mark makes the comment that Jesus is going to a solitary place, it was a place that belonged to a certain group of people. You see, the rural areas... The towns and the villages that people run to and follow Jesus to the solitary place. You know who's hanging out in the solitary places? Freedom fighters. Zealots. Anti-Rome people. The people who are not in the urban centers of Rome has more control. I mean, out in the wilderness, in the solitary place that Mark names here. This is where the freedom fighters and the zealots are. And the people from the rural areas find out that Jesus is coming to their area, and they start to gather. Why? Because these people are looking for a revolution. These people are hungry for a revolutionary leader. In fact, John even makes the comment in his gospel that after being with Jesus, this group decided they were going to make Jesus king by force. He gives us all the clues we need about what they had in mind. I mean, here was a people who, for generations, had lived under the weight of oppression, taxed into absolute poverty, not free to move about, not able to worship as they wanted to worship, everything of their lives influenced by this foreign power of Rome, and people were starting to, as you can imagine, had had enough Jesus starts to talk, but more than that, he starts to demonstrate these things. And people start to make this attachment that if he can do the kinds of things like command the wind and the waves, if he can send people to do miracles and his power works through them, if he can speak to a little girl and raise her from the dead, the words getting out, we could harness this power in him and change our reality. You see, these people coming to the solitary place, the people living in the caves and everything else, they've been on the run from Rome. And now they see in Jesus someone with all the power to change their political, economic, and religious fortunes. He's our guy. Look at the power. It is so impressive. He's our guy. It's so fascinating. These people start to come to him. And it's even interesting that when Mark mentions that it's 5,000 men, he's not trying to be sexist or misogynistic or anything else. The reason he highlights the idea of 5,000 men, it's really a term about fighting men. He had an army of 5,000 Jesus had come to him. And Jesus sees this crowd. He lands on the shore. And he knows who these people are. And he sees within this crowd a deep hunger for new lives, a new world, a new reality. And it says he has compassion on them. In fact, it says his heart breaks for them. He looks at them As they're looking at him saying, here's our revolutionary leader. And Jesus' heart breaks for them. Why? Because he says they're like sheep without a shepherd. In uh, Mark 6.34. He sees something in in them. And this is a really interesting reference. You know, we see that phrase of Jesus, like sheep without a shepherd. And maybe we think of like the good shepherd. Or we think of Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd. But Jesus isn't quoting Psalm 23 here. He's quoting another passage. He's quoting Numbers twenty seven seventeen. And it's actually a prayer of Moses. And Moses' prayer in Numbers was essentially this God after I'm gone I want you to give us a leader, a political military leader, so that our people will not be like sheep without a shepherd. And Jesus pulls on this prophetic tradition. He pulls forward this prayer of Moses. Moses' prayer was for a political military leader. And Jesus translates that into the moment. He sees the hunger of these people for revolution. He says, they're like sheep without a shepherd. However, they don't really know what they're asking for. And this is the moment. This is the moment everyone expects Jesus to gather his army of at least 5,000 fighting men and go to war to to, to secure their freedom from Rome. Mark has intentionally built the tension in the story right to this point. You have the freedom fighters gathering, people motivated to fight. Jesus lands on the shore as the person holding all the power of the kingdom of God in his person. And he quotes Numbers 27. This prayer of Moses for a political military leader. And now Mark's question that's hanging over it is, will Jesus do what all the other kingdoms of the world do? Is this when the fighting begins? Is he about to hand out swords and start training for war? I mean, is this going to follow the pattern of human history that always follows the same pattern? That when you feel oppressed, when you feel isolated, when you feel pushed back, you army up, you gain your power, and you fight. And Mark's sitting here right at this moment in this clashing of kingdoms and saying, what is Jesus going to do? Now with an army ready to make him king and all the power of heaven at his back, how will Jesus go about changing the world? That's the tension that's sitting right in the story. How will Jesus set them free from their oppression? You see, Jesus meets these people in the crucible of their hunger for change, and he begins by offering them two things. Here's Jesus, the revolutionary. In the moment of tension he does, he offers these freedom fighters and zealots two things. First, he offers them a proclamation. What an odd thing to do. I mean, right in the tension of the story. And Mark's like, here's all this tension, here's all this power, and it says, and Jesus began to teach the many things. What? A sermon? Are you serious? Like, Jesus, not the time. And yet for Jesus, this was the perfect time to preach and to teach. In fact, one of the better ways of even saying it is "And Jesus began to correct them with compassion. And he taught them many things. This would have been the message of the kingdom of God. We've talked about that the last few weekends. It's, all, it's what Jesus preached about. You know, Jesus' main message was often this idea that like you think your biggest enemy is Rome. You think your biggest enemy and biggest oppressor is the thing that's harming you economically or socially right now. And Jesus is like, I'm casting a vision of something different, that all of this stuff comes and goes, but how about this? How about I don't just set you free from political powers? How about I set you free from the power of sin and death? You know, the kingdoms of the world are going to come and go. You need freedom over sin. You need freedom over death. And Jesus begins to cast this kingdom vision. He teaches them. And he would have preached a message of repentance. It's what he'd sent the disciples out to do just a few verses earlier. And what's he asking them to repent of? Essentially this. Listen, you guys are heading towards a violent clash with a superpower. Repent of your need for violence. Repent of the demand of your rights and join my kingdom vision, which isn't really concerned that much about the kingdoms of the world. There's a whole other reality at play here. Why don't you live into the kingdom of life instead of the kingdom of death? And so Jesus begins with a proclamation. I mean, they're ready for a war cry, and Jesus is like, How about a vision of a kingdom that now and for generations to come? You live into the way of life as opposed to the way of death. There's a proclamation, but then he does something else. He gives them a proclamation. Here's the kingdom. And now a demonstration. A demonstration of the kingdom of God. Something tangible for them. And this is Jesus' great revolutionary act. You see, it gets late, and Jesus has been teaching a while. It probably took a while for the people to settle down (laughs) and be able to hear what he was saying. And the disciples go, Hey, this has been a great service, Jesus um potluck's not an option today so everyone lunch on your own like go find your own food all these people had run from the towns and villages now they're in the wilderness and the disciples do this really logical sane thing send people to go eat and jesus then makes this comment love it oh you feed them (laughs) i love that i mean we're having a revolution right now in this new way go ahead and all the power i've given you how would you go about feeding this crowd and they kind of respond sarcastically to Jesus in the text. Ah, that's a bit more money than we would have, Jesus. There's probably 15 to 20,000 people that are part of this group, and they collect five loaves and two fish. And they bring their meager offering to Jesus, and Jesus uses what they have to perform this miracle we've read about, this giving of bread. Little sidebar here. I don't know if you've talked about this on different weekends, but... It's a question worth answering sometimes. We look at things like this, this dividing of bread and the feeding of 15 to 20,000 people and 5,000 fighting men, you know, like why the miracles? You ever wonder, like, wh- like, what's the point of the miracles? And some people think that the whole point of the miracles, and, you know, we're studying Mark in the book of Mark, is for Jesus to demonstrate power. It's to get people to believe in him. Well, if that's the case, why does he do the miracles he does? I mean, if Jesus was talking to like, a good marketing department, and they're like, okay, Jesus, we've got to get your power out there, we've got to get your message out there, so here's what we're going to do. You need to fly up over the Sea of Galilee and do flips in the air, and then come down and like, land like Spider-Man and all these things, and like, the ground goes, and all this stuff. Then people will really believe in you. Or go back to that throwing yourself off the temple thing, and have, have yourself be caught. People will absolutely be astounded by your power. Or blow something up, go pyrotechnic, something... Yet Jesus doesn't do any of that. He multiplies bread. (laughs) So why the miracles? If it's not for everyone to see, wow, he's so amazing, what's the miracles about? Well, see, the miracles are not a suspension of the natural order just to wow people. Every time Jesus does a miracle, the miracles serve as a picture of how things were intended to be and how they will be in the future in the fullness of the kingdom of God. They're all about a message. Whenever he breaks bread, whenever he allows the blind to see, the lame to walk, he's saying, listen, there was a time when God created and it was all good There was no poverty, there was no disease, there was no brokenness. But now we're in this place of brokenness, but don't lose hope. And in every miracle, he's saying a day is coming when poverty is going to end, and disease is going to end, and relational fallout is going to end, and all my miracles point to, yes, what was, but even more importantly, what will be. And so he breaks bread instead of flying around like a superhero. (laughs) Because he wasn't about attracting attention. He was about getting people inspired into a kingdom vision. So we have this miracle of the bread. Jesus breaks bread and feeds people. Now, when we think of bread, we usually think of I mean, one thing. Well, bread is carbs. It's carbohydrates. It's, you can eat it or not. But for the people of Jesus' time, this breaking of bread meant so much more. You know, throughout the scriptures, the imagery of bread is always related to life. It wasn't just a side dish with a little butter For your main meal. Bread, time and time again, is used as this image of the fullness, the satisfaction of God in people. This idea of shalom, which sometimes gets like this idea of peace, right? But shalom is more than that. Kingdom shalom, what Jesus was announcing in this shalom of God was this idea that you are fully satisfied, not lacking anything. And often shalom and bread throughout the scriptures are attached. And so Jesus, knowing the meaning of the bread his word being the bread of life, in his person, the giver of life, Jesus breaks bread and gives it to this revolutionary crowd. And in that, everybody would have known what he was getting at. You see, they came to him to be this revolutionary leader against Rome. And in that, they were saying, Jesus, it's time for you to be a dealer in death. We need to kill the Romans. And Jesus stands there, announces a kingdom, and says, how about instead of being a dealer in death, how about I be a giver of life? And he gives them bread. And it says, and they were fully satisfied. They were in shalom. They were experiencing both the satiation of a physical hunger, but also a spiritual hunger. They were feeling fully satisfied that in Jesus, in his way, Everything can be different. You know what's so amazing about this miracle is that Jesus begins with what the disciples have. Maybe you've noticed that before. Jesus casts a kingdom vision and then uses what is absolutely inadequate in the disciples to make the impossible possible. Jesus could literally have formed bread out of nothing. He could have spoken it into existence. Why the, hey, how much you got in the way of food? (laughs) Uh, five loaves, two fish. Awesome. You see, to live into this kingdom vision, Jesus says, bring what you have. And one of the disciples' response is, yeah, it's not enough. And Jesus is like, I know it's not enough, but I'm enough, so bring what you have. He casts a kingdom vision about what it means to live a revolutionary life where we live in this place of fully satisfied, regardless of who's in power over us, regardless of economic conditions, regardless of what we're being asked to do, we live as free people, fully satisfied in the person and presence of Jesus Christ. And he says, just bring what you have. Bring what you have. And with your inadequacy, I will bring my adequacy. And there will be enough, because God always, 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 because of love, works in partnership with us. You ever notice in life that God doesn't want to set you on the sideline of the revolution, the change that you're wanting, and say, just sit over here while I do my thing? Jesus is the one who meets us in our hungers, our thirsts, our desires, and says, how will we go about this? And he links arms with us, he walks with us in us. And we bring kind of what we have, our meager offerings, like Jesus, this is all we have. And Jesus always says, with me, that's always enough. Just don't sideline yourself. Like, come in and join the kingdom. And he makes the impossible possible with what we bring and partner with him. How? Verse 41. This is where I want to end today. There's a lot in this story we weren't able to get to with our time. We, this, this passage literally deserves like a weekend seminar. There's a lot more here. It says in verse 41 that Jesus took the bread and the fish. In particular, the highlight is on the bread. And He said, it says that he blessed it, and he broke it. He blessed and broke. You know, the whole story, it may not feel like it to us, but anyone who was reading this story in the first, second, third century, this is the resolution of the story right here, when Jesus looked to heaven, and it literally says in the original language, he blessed and broke the bread. He blessed the bread, and he broke the bread. And the whole story finds its resolution in these two words. Why? Why? For those of you who've been around church, you know this stuff. This is all pointing to a future event in Jesus' life. This, I will bless and I will break. My way of revolution is to bless, not curse, and then to break and be vulnerable instead of holding power. And it foreshadows a last supper, sitting with his disciples, where he takes bread and he breaks. He blesses and he breaks. It foreshadows a cross where Jesus... When all the violence and all the sin and all the powers are coming at him with absolute aggression, what is his response? As he's absorbing the violence, as he's absorbing the sin, as he's absorbing the accusation, what does he do? Father, forgive them. I bless. And allows himself to be broken. Instead of facing violence with violence, he absorbs the violence and returns blessing as he allows himself to break. Are you seeing the love in Jesus and this compassion in him? Isn't he wonderful? Like, I mean, he shows up at a revolution and says, I think they're hungry. And his heart breaks for them and he blesses them and becomes a dealer in life instead of a giver of death. So let me wrap up real quick here. For those hungry for revolution and change, can we pause and consider the way of Jesus for a moment? Yeah, that was the cryptic worship team. Come on up. You guys can do that now. <laughs> Thanks. I want us to think about a couple of things. For those who are hungry for revolution, I don't just mean the revolutions that are happening out there. Like, let's bring this right here, right, right in this space. Like, in your relationships. With your kids, with a neighbor, with a coworker, whatever. Like, bring it right into, into your world right here. Where are you wanting to see change? Where are the things in your life that just don't feel like they're in alignment with how God would have them to be? First, know this Jesus sees your hunger for change and he meets you there. He went to the place of the freedom fighters and met them in their passion. The passion you have for change, Jesus meets you there. That's first. But second, he is going to speak to you and guide you in his way. And his call will always be to repent of violence and self reliance. The revolutionary way of Jesus is to pause and never take up arms. Now, we can do that in words. We can do that in deeds. And Jesus says, hold on. There's a kingdom way. You want change? I see your passion. I affirm that. That's what he's doing. No, let's not run off and try to kill and uproot. We're going to be dealers in life. And then with this kingdom vision before us, he says, what do you want to bring to this? And we bring all of our inadequacy. We bring all of our brokenness. And Jesus says, I can use this. And invites us to bless and to break. You know, some of you are so desperate for change. I am desperate for change. You know what the Jesus way is? In the thing where you are feeling it most acutely right now that's just not like it's supposed to be. God is not asking for your aggression. God is not acti- asking for your, uh, your power. He's saying to his church, this is the time to be the people that will bless and then allow themselves to be broken. Whether it's a fight for injustice, whether it's something going on in your family, Jesus feels where you are. He's gonna teach you his way. He's inviting you to bring what you have relationally into making change. And then he will call you again and again to bless and to break, to bless and to break, because that's what he does for us. In a moment, we're gonna come to the table and reflect on the blessing and the breaking. Would you pause with me and just pray for just a moment before the worship team leads us? Jesus, we we pause now to consider your revolutionary way. Which I confess, Jesus, even I, I walked in this text this week, there's a lot of I don't like it. I want you to do the power move. I want you to take over by force. So I confess that, Lord. I don't always like your way, but we also confess today that your way is not just different from our way when it comes to enacting change. Your way is better. Your way is the way of life. And within our relationships, within our workplaces, within this church, within this world, Jesus, we renounce the temptation to be dealers in death with our words, with our actions or anything. And we choose to be this day the people who will bless and allow ourselves to be broken, to be vulnerable, to be open, to allow ourselves to take on the suffering as you took it on for us. We Renounce violence. We Renounce that kind of, that that way in which death comes to people, physically, emotionally, spiritually, psychologically. It is not what you stand for. And so Jesus, we choose to stand with you in the place of life. Blessing and breaking, blessing and breaking. Prepare us now to come to the table to commune with you. thanks for this church, Jesus. Thanks for these wonderful people that you love so much. I just sense that you're calling into to this way of a kingdom vision that is, is going to be a new movement for them. And I, church, I just bless you in your pursuit of the kingdom way. It won't feel natural. It doesn't always feel good, but it is right.
0: Thank you for tuning in to our podcast today. To discover more about Stony Plain Alliance Church and its ministries, visit our website at SPAConline.com. Grace and peace.